invite you to take out your Bible uh, or grab one of the, the Bibles we have in the seats around you or the Bible that's on your phone and look at Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. If you're looking for the Gospel of Mark, <clears throat> I don't know, it's about three-fourths the way through my Bible here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark, second book of the New Testament. And chapter 5, verse 1 says this. They, Jesus and his disciples, they went across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he had tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down in the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man and had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. I'm wondering this morning if you've ever felt trapped, if you've ever felt like you've been stuck in a predicament. And no matter the angle that you considered, you, uh, you, you just couldn't figure out a way out. Have you had one of those, those nights where you stayed up thinking and you started thinking in circles where it's like you, you try to reason your way out or something or around something, and you you kind of get in a circle and you get back to where you started from, and you didn't really come up with a a, a, a good option or, or 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 way out. 
Has that, has that happened to you? Um, we're looking at a scripture uh, this morning of a man who was trapped. And uh, one of the things that we've been doing these past few Sundays is we've been looking at scriptures that tell us why we love Jesus, why we can love Jesus, why you can love Jesus. And what we are looking at today is that Jesus sees. He sees. He sees you. You're never alone. You have a pile of bills and you don't know how it's all going to work out. Jesus sees you. You have some relationship struggle. Feels like your heart's been ripped out. Jesus sees you. Maybe that relationship struggle, you know, is because of something you have done that you shouldn't have done. Jesus, Jesus sees where you're at. When you can't seem to get things straight, Jesus sees. And what we're going to look at today is three things that, in particular, Jesus sees. And the first one is this, the simple point. Jesus sees you in your distress. This, the story that we read about Jesus healing the, the demon-possessed man, it's really connected to the story that comes before it. And the story right before this in the Gospel of Mark is, is that account of the, the storm that comes up on the Sea of Galilee as Jesus and his disciples are crossing it. This, this violent storm, terrible storm. And the disciples think they're going to die. That The boat's going over, they're all drowning, and, and Jesus calms the storm. These two stories are, are linked together, and I'll tell you how. Um, on the other side of the lake, when Jesus said, let's go on the other side of the lake, was the region of the Decapolis. This is where this, this demon-possessed man story takes place. This region known as the Decapolis. There were ten cities, and they were largely non-Jewish. They were Gentile cities. The Jews might have considered them, oh, those, those pagans over there in the Decapolis. They, it was an unclean population from a Jewish point of view. Um, Jesus' disciples would not have wanted to travel to the, to the Decapolis for that very reason, this unclean area. Plus, traveling across the Sea of Galilee was not seen as an honor roll decision because... For the ancient Jewish people, they, they saw the, the depths of it, the deep part of the sea. As the, the, the deep sea was known uh, for the ancient Jews as a place of evil. It was a place of chaos. Why would you want to put yourself in that, that threatening environment where it was kind of the place of evil at the bottom of, of the sea? So imagine the disciples getting in the boat thinking, okay, Jesus going to the Decapolis, not a great idea going across the sea to get to the Decapolis, uh, even less of a great idea. And so when this violent storm comes up while they are crossing the sea, you can imagine the disciples thinking, well, of course this is what happens. This is what happens when you go to the Decapolis, unwise. When you cross the sea, unwise. Of course this is going to happen, this violent storm. Because that's what happens when you do these dumb things. All of this to say, it was a really big deal for Jesus to say to his disciples, you know, let's go to the other side of the lake today. That was not just a casual thing for Jesus to say to his disciples. Hey, let's just take a little boat trip. No, it was a big deal. Why did Jesus go across to the Decapolis? Why did they cross the sea? 
As soon as they got to the other side, verse 2, a man with an impure spirit came up to meet Jesus. It was because of him, wasn't it, that they crossed the sea. Why? So, so Mark goes out of his way to describe in detail how this man really, this, this demon-possessed man, descriptive detail about how he was losing his life. Verse 2, he was expelled from his community. He was, he was now living in the, the caves and the, the, the tombs. He was pushed out. He was driven away from his community. He was beyond the help of his community. Verse 3 says, they could no longer bind him, even with a chain. Well, why would they, why would they want to bind him in the first place? Well, because he, to keep him from hurting himself, hurting other people in the community. And he was hurting himself, wasn't he? He was, he was now cutting himself with stones, verse 5 says. And the, the Gospel of Luke adds this detail. He was naked. He was, he was also without his clothes, just, just stripped naked. So he's cutting himself with stones. He's, he, he's got a demon. In fact, we read from later in the story that it's not just one demon, is it? How, how many demons? A legion. legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. How many pigs were there? 2,000 pigs. So I don't know how many demons there were. Somewhere between two and 6,000. All in this man's body and, and mind. Sometimes you can you know, start talking to yourself and start you know, not being in your right mind. Well, imagine having 2,000 or so demons that they're they're tearing you apart from the inside out and causing you to tear yourself apart from the outside working in. So this is a man. This this is this man is dying. Self-destructing. He he's had his humanity. His humanity is being stripped away from him, torn away from him. He is being he's being treated like an animal, isn't he? That's what you do with a wild animal. You tie him up, you chain him up. He's, he's experiencing the process of dehumanization. He's naked. I mean, you, you, you get the picture. This is the description of a man who is in deep, deep distress as, and, in fact, is, is on the road to destruction. Now, um, just to help us get the, the, the scope, the, the size of this story, if you've been in... in, in uh, Bolivar Almond's uh, Gospel of Mark class. Um, it's one of our Sunday morning classes. If you've been going to that, you, you um, it's probably mentioned to you that how quickly Mark goes through things and stories. It's the shortest of all the gospel, pr- probably the most compact of all the gospels. And Mark just really flies through his stories with with pace, and 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 immediately something else is happening. Immediately something else is happening, and then Mark gets to what we have as chapter five, and there's twenty verses. 20 verses that Mark uses, or it, it occupies 20 verses. It's, it's an enormously long story in this gospel that just kind of moves on and moves on. For Mark to park here at the story, it is, this is a very significant story. What does Mark want us to see? That Jesus sees us. He sees you in your distress. And he's coming for you. He's coming for you. And he doesn't come for just a visit, does he? 
what is, it, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a wonderful thought. Jesus is our friend, but he doesn't come just to be our friend, right? He comes to save us. He came to save this man's life. So, of course, that is why Jesus' disciples got in the boat with Jesus and went across the Sea of Galilee to this little-known town, this unclean area. It's because Jesus sees the demons that were very close to killing this man. So note that, that Jesus, let's talk about the demonic just for a sentence or two. Jesus believes that demons are real. The, the witnesses to this story believe that demons are real. No, no one was correcting Jesus. Hey, Jesus, that, that's not really a demon, right? He's just, he's just ill, he's just sick. No, no. D- Jesus, Jesus knows the reality of demons. Something that is largely set aside today in our culture. The threat of a demonic is not just possession, like it was for this guy. This guy was possessed by demons. Not just possession, um, but also influence. The devil and the demonic want to entice us with sin and keep us enslaved to sin. This man was enslaved by these demons, and that is a picture of ens- for us of enslavement, a little bit of what it's like to be enslaved to sin the devil and the demonic want to keep sin ever before us. This, this is an activity that, that Paul describes, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. I want to just look at a few verses there. Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Just like, just like this man was near death, right? You were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, this demonic entity, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So, so just like this man, the result of enslavement to the demonic or to sin is that it dehumanizes us. It tears us. What does it do? What does it do? It tears us away from the community, doesn't it? It tears us away. It destroys relationships. It tears us up on the inside. It slowly destroys us. What does Romans chapter 6, verse 23 say in that familiar statement of sin? The wages of sin is... What is the wages of sin? What does sin get you? What is it... What is it Due to you, death. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus comes to save this man from death. He doesn't just come because he sees us in distress. He comes to save us from death. Look at the second point. Jesus sees the hidden threats that seek to ruin you or even kill you. You know, there are other threats in this story than just the demons. There are other hidden threats in this story. Uh, why were the townspeople against Jesus? Did you catch that at the end of the story? How the townspeople in that area, they, uh, they saw what happened. 
to this changed man. They, 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 they heard a report. Some, some saw, some heard a report of what Jesus had done. He, he cast out this demon. He changed this man. He radically turns this man's life around through miraculous and great power. And the townspeople, they either see it or they hear about it. And what do they ask Jesus to do? To leave. That's, that's interesting. This man has been set free. You would think, Jesus, oh, stay. No, Jesus, leave, please. See, there's another hidden threat in this story. When Jesus comes into your life, he will reveal to you, he will help you to see the hidden threat, the hidden sin that is in you that seeks to destroy you. Isn't that what Jesus does? Uh, we see this throughout the scriptures. Jesus and the story of Jesus and the the uh, the rich, the rich young man, the rich young Jewish man who comes to Jesus, and he he uh, he asks Jesus a question: What must I do? What can I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus, uh, what what does Jesus tell him? He says, "Do, do I have it?" The screen? Maybe I don't have it on the screen. Uh, Jesus. I guess I don't have it on the screen. So what does Jesus tell him to do? He, uh, he tells him, you must sell all of your possessions. Give it to the poor. And, and you'll receive eternal life. And, and he tells, he gives that instructions to the man. And that instructions that he gives to that man, Jesus doesn't tell other people. He doesn't tell Zacchaeus that. When Zacchaeus received salvation, he doesn't tell Zacchaeus, oh, you've got to give all of your stuff away to the poor. He doesn't tell that to Zacchaeus. Um, we don't see Jesus giving that instructions to everyone. There, there were people that supported Jesus' ministry, made significant financial contributions, but it wasn't that they sold all their stuff and gave it all this one lump sum to Jesus. They periodically supporting Jesus' ministry. Uh, the Apostle Paul doesn't, Give that as a broad instruction to all believers. Sell all of your possessions and give to, to the poor. No, Jesus looks into this man's life, this rich young man's life, and he realizes that he loves money. It's the, the, this hidden part of this man's life that was going to kill him, that was going to tear him up from the inside out. His love of money, and Jesus exposes that. So when the townspeople see this man who, in, in many ways had become completely inhuman. And then they see Jesus in such a miraculous way restore life to him. They realize something. What they realize is this, to have Jesus in your life means he must be the Lord of your life. And so they were afraid. If this guy's around, he's in charge. And they were afraid. He must be in charge because look at what he did. Cast out Thousands of demons. Now, what were they afraid of? I want you to look at chapter uh, uh, verse 16 in this story. Could it have been this? Notice this detail that Mark includes in verse 16. Those who had, uh, those who had seen it, the, the exorcism of the details and, and the pigs, told the people in that area what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And he told them about the pigs as well. So the town was told. Now, 2,000 pigs, that's a lot of pigs. 
That's a lot of pigs. The town was told 2,000 of the pigs are gone. Carl Truman is a, a Bible scholar, a professor, a historian who knows his stuff. Uh, he puts it like this. He said, that's the local economy. The 2,000 pigs, that's the local economy. The townspeople accused Jesus of ruining their local economy by allowing the demons to enter the pigs. And listen, I promise you that the 2,000 pigs running down the slope into the sea to drown, that did not catch Jesus by surprise. That didn't happen, and then Jesus said, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I mean, it wasn't some Southwest airline want to get away moment for Jesus. That wasn't it. He knew it was going to happen. He knew the demons would do it. And one thing that it shows us, this is the cool thing that it shows us, um, it shows us just how much Jesus values this, this one man. This, it's just one man, Jesus. Sometimes bad things happen and someone's going to take the fall. No, not for Jesus. This one man. If 2,000 pigs have to drown... If the local economy has to tank for this man to be saved and healed and restored, Jesus says, that's a no-brainer. I'm going for the man. Apparently, the townspeople, Jesus, get away. Apparently, the townspeople would have preferred to have kept the pigs and lost the man. There's a hidden threat, isn't there? that Jesus exposes to the townspeople. So make no, mis- no mistake about it. Being a Christian, being a true follower of Jesus, it, it means giving your life over to Jesus and-, and allowing him to change you. I mean, that's what it, because of who he is, it, it means following him means, here's my life. I want you to help expose the hidden threats in me, Jesus, that seek to ruin me. C.S. Lewis, um, in his book, uh, Surprised by Joy, it's a book about his conversion to Christianity. Uh, He wrote about his own journey of being a Christian, and he actually uses this story, Mark chapter 5, to illustrate who he was and his his conversion to Christianity. And This is what he writes about himself. Uh, He said his life was a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a Harlem of foiled hatreds. My name, my name, he said, was Legion. All of these hidden sins in C.S. Lewis that Jesus helped bring healing to. So Jesus comes to confront that sin in you and to get it out of you. And sometimes... Um, and sometimes it's a, it's a hidden sin that seeks to, and you don't know what it's happening, and it, it seeks to dehumanize you. How? Well, it, it, it seeks to tear you apart from community. Remember we talked about being a, few, a month ago, what it means to be human. One thing is to be in community, and it's that hidden sin that wants to just alienate us from others. Or maybe that hidden sin wants to prevent you from using your gifts, using your, your, your God-given makeup to, to, in a way that would help God's kingdom flourish. And that, that hidden sin wants to prevent you from doing that. 
by causing you either to doubt what God's doing in your life or to focus on yourself, your ambitions. What did C.S. Lewis say of himself? I, I was a bedlam of ambitions. Or as C.S. Lewis wrote, maybe it's a nursery of fears in you. Now, fear can be a, an appropriate and good response to danger, but it also can be this sinful, irrational uh response or experience when we're when we're not trusting God or we're not believing in God's promises and we're like, what bad thing's gonna happen next, God? I don't know. I I need a retreat. Maybe maybe it's not a hidden sin. Maybe it maybe it's more like pornography or maybe it's a much less obvious sin like pride that's harder to to see. Maybe it's anger. And holding on to anger, when we get angry, but when we, when we hold on to anger, the Apostle Paul writes, we are giving the devil a foothold. Like this man with those demons in him, there was a foothold for the demonic to enter his life. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. You hang on to anger, and it's not like, oh, okay, join the club. No, it's a foothold for the devil. So one thing this story reveals, I thought of this little phrase. It's not a, it's not a rocket science phrase. Um, maybe it'll stick a little bit, but just this little phrase, comfort of sin will slowly kill. Comfort of sin, slowly kill. That's what happens when we get comfortable with sin. Satan's strategy to harm us is not necessarily some obvious kind of frontal attack where we see him coming a mile away, here comes the army. Rather, if he can get us to become blind to our sin or comfortable with our sin, it will slowly eat away at our inner being. So this morning, I mean, just self-reflection time, right? Do you have a sin that you're holding on to? And maybe you're not quite sure what it is. Maybe it's like, God, I, I know something's off. I mean, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I've been at odds with others, been at odds with my, my wife, my husband. Um, I'm irritable. I'm cranky. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious, just getting anxious and anxious and anxious. Um, maybe, maybe that's it. Or maybe, yeah, I, I'm that, that, that holding on to anger, that's me. There's, there's people that just drive me crazy. I hate them. Have you ever thought that? I hate them. Seriously. Hate them. Maybe that's it. That hidden sin that seeks to ruin you. Um, is your life one fear after another, and you're just tired of it? You know. So think of what happened when Jesus came to the shore. He gets out of the boat, gets out on the shore, and the man comes running to Jesus. Now, I mean, it's sometimes it's hard to tell in the story. Is it the demon that's acting, or the demons that's acting, or, or is it the man? All I know is this man comes running out to Jesus. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet, and Jesus heals the man. And so maybe this morning you're thinking, maybe I should do that. <laughs> like, do you want to do that? I mean, there have been times where I'm like, I want to run to Jesus, and I want to throw myself at his feet and just allow him to heal me. I mean, we can do that this morning. I mean, we can do that. You can do that. I think Jesus will heal you from this inner threat if I take the story seriously. And we should take it seriously. That Jesus will heal us from these inner threats that seek to ruin us. When we do it humbly and sincerely 
and desperately and just run to Jesus and throw ourselves at his feet. What is that? That's just, oh, you're like desperate for Jesus. And it's not like, hey, Jesus, I want to see eye to eye with you. It's no, you're the Lord, and I just want to throw myself at your feet and help me. Listen, Jesus sees you in your distress, and he sees the hidden threat that seeks to ruin you. And here's the, here's the final point. The final point is the, if that wasn't hope enough, here's another hopeful point. Jesus sees how he will send you to grow his kingdom. Um, it isn't, it, listen, it's not us who grow God's kingdom. It's Jesus who uses us to grow God's kingdom. It's, it's Jesus who sends his workers out into the field. And good things happen and grow for his kingdom. The follower of Jesus is, is the finely tuned instrument that Jesus can use to grow his kingdom. And, and we see that in this man's life, the, 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 the you know, legion-infected man's life, don't we? After he gets healed, what does he do? He begs Jesus, I want to go with you. That, you saved my life, I want to go with you. Jesus does not say, well, hop in the boat, let's go. What does he do? He says, stay. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Think about what all the Lord has done for you. Now, I was thinking about that. What has the Lord done for you? What, what did God do for you? And how, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it can be maybe a weak phrase, doing something for someone else. Like, what, you're going to the grocery store and you're grabbing a loaf of bread for him? I mean, sometimes that can seem like a pretty small thing, someone doing something for you. How much has the Lord done for you? Well, how about this? He only gave me my life back. <laughs> He only gave me inner peace instead of being torn up on the insides. He only showed me how he loved me by coming all the way for me. God did something for for you, and it was out of God's mercy. And this, this man shared what God did. And the beautiful thing is, this time there was a much different result or a much different reaction of the townspeople towards Jesus. So in Mark chapter 7, Jesus actually returns to this region in the Decapolis. It's a brief story, um, but, but in this story we also see Jesus sees something on his return. He sees, and so he goes. Jesus sees, when he goes back to this, this region, he, he sees something happening, and he goes back to Decapolis, and and the townspeople come up to him. But in this time, instead of saying, hey, we told you once to get out of here, don't make us ask you a second time, instead of saying that, they say something different. They, they brought a, a deaf man for Jesus to heal. Jesus heals him. And this is what happens with the town, townspeople in Mark chapter 7. The people were overwhelmed with amazement. And this is what they said this time. He has done everything well. They don't see Jesus as a threat anymore, right? They see him as the one that's doing everything well, the one that's going to save them. So there are times when frightening things are going on all around you. And Jesus invites you, will you trust me? 
that I know what I'm doing? Do you trust me that I see you in your distress? That I see the inner thread inside of you that seeks to ruin you? And do you trust Jesus? Jesus says, do you trust me that I know how I'm going to help form you through that so that I can send you out? Or in this man's case, stay home so that you can stay home, so that you can stay local, but you're going to be used by Jesus to help his kingdom grow. So this morning, I want you to consider. Uh, in your note sheet in the, in the bulletin, I give you this big bottom, this line you can write something in. What has the Lord done for you, and how has he showed you mercy? I, I, please think about that. Think about the big thing, not going to the, loaf, the store for a loaf of bread thing, but the big thing that the Lord, or things that the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. And, and write something down. And then I want you to, to, to think, will you share that? Will you share that with someone? To be a Christian is nothing less than understanding, yes, your life is your life, but ultimately your life is Jesus' life. Jesus is your Lord. And Jesus does call some to go a far distance as missionaries. To most, Jesus says, stay and tell. Stay and tell someone and tell others what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. Is there someone who has been asking you questions about your faith? Is there someone who has been talking about spiritual things? Is there someone who seems to be going through something similar to what you are going through who might be able to relate with you? Who are you going to tell? Because Jesus sees the greater thing that is going to happen when you share what God has done in your life. Uh, Listen, why don't we pray together, and then we will sing. Lord, you are the God who sees. You are the God that refuses to stay far from us. You are the God that comes pursuing after us to, yes, be our friend, and yes, be our Savior, to, to, to rescue us. Help us to see that our faith is a, it's a rescue mission. That's what you've done for us. Help us to want to be a part of your rescue mission for others. and to realize the great thing that you have done for us, not the small thing, the great thing that has brought us from death to life. And then help us to share in your wonderful, life-giving, life-saving name we pray. Amen.